This is the Misdirected Mark Podcast, a podcast about gaming, game mastering, and entertaining you, our listeners. We are explicit, you have been warned, and I'd like to thank Mike Willard for letting us use his music on our show. Now let's pick up those mics and get on with this thing. Yeah, so I'm thinking Marvel Universe, but we're all playing the MCU Avengers stuck in the 616 universe. That should be some fun combinations. I'm thinking I'm going to run Star Wars, where Luke Khan and Obi-Wan get gunned down in front of the players. Then the PCs have to grab the droids, steal the Falcon, and then go get rescued by Leia. Interesting, interesting. I, I think I'm going to do a Star Trek uh, game set during the rebuilding after the Dominion Wars. Uh, you'll have your own ship. And you'll be like in the Delta Quadrant trying to broker peace with the Jem'Hadar forces um, who now like find themselves kind of leaderless and at odds with each other because the white is running out. Yeah, I think all those be fun, but no matter what, the fans are going to be confused. Probably. And with that, welcome to the 427th episode of the Mystery and Mark podcast. Tonight, we unpack running and playing RPGs and established IPs from movies to books to comics and even published RPG properties. Along the way, we'll take your suggestions, comments, examples from the chat room for life before jumping into the after show. But first, my name is Jerry. My name is Phil. And I am Old Man Logan. Good evening and welcome to the show. All right. As is the usual course during the COVID times, we are doing a temperature check before we enter the house. Phil, how are you feeling? Uh, physically, I feel fine. Um, could probably use a little more sleep. Probably. Uh, I don't even want to get into it, but... As we were joking before the show, my watch app is making fun of me for my lack of sleep. Um, but, uh, other, I feel fine physically. Uh, mentally, um, yeah, I'm actually okay. Um, I don't know if I recovered enough during the weekend or I don't know. Whatever it is, I'm feeling okay. So I'm like a solid okay right now <laughs> on both fronts. Jer, how about you? I'm doing pretty good. Um, the up and down weather here in Buffalo, we've got temperatures that are these days when it goes below freezing, above freezing, below freezing. That's what happened with my, with my allergies. But uh, aside from that, I'm pretty good. As I mentioned on our Slack room, last night I took a couple of meds uh, and my necklace started to help me sleep. So I woke up this morning and I was logy as hell. But I thought I'd be one of those days I'd be pounding five-hour energy all day. But once I got to work, I was fine and uh, had a really good day at work and a lot of things done. So I'm feeling kind of pepped up right now. Bob? Awesome. So, uh, physically, I feel great. Um, I'm, I'm, I've been getting really good sleep the last few nights. Um, Shut up. Nothing's, yeah. <laughs> Just because you don't sleep doesn't mean the rest of us can't. Um, yeah, physically, I feel great. Uh, mentally, um, I am, I am running the gauntlet. Um, I am under COVID quarantine. My housemate has confirmed COVID. Uh, we have been in quarantine lockdown since Friday. We're on day five. And, um, I'm like, you know, moving about my house, um, like trying to, uh, like ninja my way around this fucking virus <laughs> to make sure I don't get it. She spends all her time upstairs. When she has to come downstairs, she wears her mask. When she comes downstairs, I put my mask on. So I've usually got it around my neck ready to go. Um, and I, you know, I'm spending more time in my room so that we're, we're making sure we're separating good. Um, but it's like, you know, nah, you know? <laughs> I'm like, I need to get through this quarantine period and 
You're like halfway there, right? That's like a ten day or fourteen. Um, fourteen for her, ten for me. Is that is that accurate? She's got Unt- it, she's unless got you show some sort of positive. Unless I show sign, some I kind of signs, yeah. Um, I, I will remind you that driving in your car is still technically quarantine. Yes, it like, is. Like if you need to, if you just if need, to need to get out of the get room, away, yeah. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I did all day today because it was nice and sunny out was I went out into the driveway in the back and wandered around the driveway in the sun, got some fresh air and some sunshine. Um, Here's my recommendation for you. Tomorrow's going to be like a high of 60 degrees. Oh, yeah. I say you get on the highway, window down, Boston more than a feeling, turned up loud, and just, you know, like go, like hit Hamburg and then just like bounce back and come straight back home. Like just, just get out a little fresh air, some driving, a little change of scenery, like just, you know, out of the room without, you know, without putting anyone in danger because you won't actually be out or interacting with anyone. Yeah. That is actually an excellent idea that I will most likely do. Actually, I recommend the Boston. Yes. Boston's greatest hits because foreplay a long time will will get you cranked up too. Boston is always good. I'm a a huge fan. And we'll talk about that a little bit when we get into which is next. (laughs) So, hey, one thing. Um, I finished up Legend of Korra today. Um, oh, how did wow. you like the ending? What what an ending! <laughs> I've I I don't know anything about the show, but I've heard many good things yeah. about the ending. That was a hell of an ending, and now I'm super looking forward to what they're going to bring when they do the new series and the new movies that they're going to do. I'm very curious to see if there's going to be a more of a time jump. You know, are they going to bring back characters and you know whatever? Um, but yeah, very enjoyable. Totally different from the original Avatar: The Last Airbender. Um, totally different show. Um, but very enjoyable. Had a really good time with it. Um, so now we're going to go on to Jerry. <laughs> uh, I watched a movie on Hulu called Boss Level. As did um, I. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's got Frank Grillo in it, um, who you know is Crossbones from the Marvel Universe. Okay, sure, um, sure. And, uh, it is basically, uh, Ground, Groundhog Day meets John Wick. Guy wakes up every day, and immediately a bunch of assassins are trying to kill him. Oh, all right. I think I've seen okay. previews for this. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. The only downside is it also has Mel Gibson in it, but he gets killed a lot. Um, so, oh, I yeah. definitely have yeah, seen previews yeah, yeah, for this. Yeah. Okay, yeah. But, but it's he's a minor character. But it's it's basically about a guy who um, fa- wakes up every day and gets killed by about 1247 every day, if not before, and doesn't really know why. But because they keep killing him day after day, he keeps getting better and better at surviving and knowing when to duck in that. And he doesn't, as it, as the movie goes on, he first kind of gives up, like he's got no reason to not just go do this every day. He doesn't know how to stop it. And then he gets a reason to change what's going on. So he gets to do other things during the day instead of just get killed. And then he gets a reason to try to save the people he loves. And so it starts out with him just kind of surviving and then kind of doing some cool stuff with his life and then finally realizing if he plays this right, he can save the world. And um, it's it's just awesome. But they use four plays long time very, very well. Yeah. Multiple, multiple. It's, it's, a, it's one of my favorite, Boston's four play long is one of my favorite songs anyway. But man, they use it to such an ultimate degree. It is Boston amazing. Boston is, is still, to this day, my favorite band of all time. And uh, when the first action sequence starts and they start playing Boston, I'm like, ooh. And then you yes. get the climax and they're playing it again. And I'm like, yeah. Oh, yeah. It is, it is amazing. It is fun. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an action comedy. So, I mean, you're, yeah. you're going to expect it's going to be a little absurd. 
Yeah. Um, it 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 doesn't make you suspend your disbelief uh, too too far. It's not yeah. it's not crazy. Or it's not it's not chaotic. It's not chaotic. You know, un, un, not understandable, but it's fun. Yeah. But yeah, if you enjoy action movies and if you enjoy action comedies, uh, if you enjoy the the time travel, how am I going to use time travel to to make my or, or whatever you want to call in this time loop to make my life better thing? It's really neat. Um, and it's just fun. I'll probably watch it again. I mean, it, it's yeah, got it some was, good it stuff. It was a fun it. movie. It was very entertaining. Yeah. So that was me. Phil, what's your one thing that gave you life this week? Yeah, you know, surprisingly, my one thing that gave me life this week was graphic design. Yeah. Uh, I went I went on a graphic design Fuck bender yeah. in Infinity uh, Designer this week yeah, uh, to get to get stuff um, together for my two new games. I'm launching uh, two home campaigns. So I've got um, I've got. A uh, campaign uh, about to kick off in I Hunt, and I've got a campaign kicking off in the Sprawl, and I wanted assets for Roll Twenty, and I was like, you know, I think I'm just gonna go make some, uh, and I made this kind of cool, um, I made this cool uh, play mat for I Hunt with some post-it notes like on the like on this tabletop, so that uh, we can quickly just like throw text boxes onto them to make aspects. And uh, I also like then um, took the background and scuffed it up with a, um, a coffee stain, a blood stain, some claw marks, right? I made a banner for the I hunt game because our game's in Philly. So the uh, official title of our campaign is um, uh, getting gritty in Philly, right? Cause gritty. Cause gritty. Um, then, um, so I did all that. Then, um, and then we have a coffee shop in our session zero. We defined this coffee shop. That's this kind of, um, really like socialist slash communist coffee shop called no middle grounds. And I was like, you know, I'm on a roll today. I think I'm just going to like, I want to make a poster for this place. So I, I quick did a crash course in Soviet, uh, propaganda posters to kind of get the color palette and the kind of general look. And so I made the poster for No Middle Grounds. Came out. And that would have been good enough. But then on Sunday, I was like, you know, for the sprawl, I had already made a page for doing like the mission stuff. But I was like, you know, now that we've defined all the corporations, like it would be really cool if all our corporations had logos. So I was like, all right, let's get some free fonts. Let's get some free vector art. No, no, I'm not. I'm not using any of this stuff commercially. Yeah. So let me just grab a bunch of free stuff. And I made these six corporate logos for all for the six corporations that we created, uh, all of them different, different color schemes, different fonts, all that stuff. Uh, because one of the things in the sprawl is you have a uh, page where you track the countdown clocks for all of those corporations. And now all of our countdown clocks have these uh, will have these cool logos uh, that go with them. Cool. And um, it was fun. And Affinity's great. Yes. Um, you just like stop paying Adobe. <laughs> I don't know any other way to say this. Yeah. Stop paying Adobe. Affinity's just fine. Um, I was able to do everything I needed to do. Uh, occasionally I had to quick Google something to figure out like, how do you do it? And in, in, how do you do this in infinity? Um, but even when I found it, like it was super easy to do. Uh, I actually even like how affinity handles layers better than how, um, better than how, um, Adobe handles layers like it's really slick. Um, it's great. It's great. Uh, it is, um, uh, what you call it? It was, it was totally enjoyable and it was a great way to kind of, uh, to continue to learn, um, 
affinity because uh, the best way to learn those programs is actually just to get in there and do something with them. So spending a weekend making art assets for my campaigns was really fun. I also, uh, now, you know what? I'll save it for the community thing. I'll save that for the community thing. I did some, I did some research for our, um, I hunt game and I, that was also enjoyable, but I'll save it for the end. We can roll on into announcements. Announcements. Uh, I'll do, I'll I'll hit them. I'll hit the first two announcements. Uh, first announcement is tonight. If you are listening live tonight, um, we, kick off our Voyager watch party with the two-part pilot episode caretaker. Uh, the watch list is already posted on the forums. Um, so as a reminder, you do not need to be a patron to access the forums. The forums are available to everyone. The watch list is in there for week one. We're doing this just like we've done um, TNG and DS9. So we um, every Tuesday night at 1130 p.m. Eastern, we watch two episodes together. And then for the rest of the week, you just watch the other um, curated episodes. And then, you know, and then we're, you're free to talk about them, uh, in the, um, in the forums. You can just start a post with any episode name and just start a discussion. Um, I used to have time to do that for every episode. I really don't. So I kind of just put my high level notes in the weekly one. But if you start a conversation in there, I will jump in and also talk about it. Um, so that's going on. And then that now goes for, uh, a whole bunch of weeks. A whole, many, many <laughs> I, I, weeks. I forgot to count, but we have seven seasons to go through. It's a whole bunch of weeks. Not as many um, weeks as uh, DS9, but... <laughs> but not by much. <laughs> like, not by much. Um, I think it takes us well into summer. Like, I think we're into, like, June, July or something by the time we uh, put down... Um, by the time we put down Voyager. So, um, so there's that. Uh, n- the next one is there will be no live show on the 23rd of March. Um, I am getting my second COVID shot, uh, the day before on the 22nd of March. And there's just no knowing, um, you with the COVID know. shot, how, how I'm going to be. I could be fine. I could be like under my covers for four days. Um, so as not to have to scramble, um, we're just not going to do, um, which well, we're just going to not do Hedge our bets and uh, just take a week off. Yeah, we're just going to take a week yeah. off, relax. Besides that, that is uh, technically right after my birthday and Bob's birthday. So we're taking a little birthday vacation. There you go. Because um, your birthday's on the 19th, yeah. that Friday, my birthday. And because of uh, what's called mine's on the 22nd when I get the shot, I'm actually doing my celebrating that weekend. So I'm, I'm just going to co-celebrate with you. There you go. Um, so no show on no show. Live on the 23rd, though we will still do the Voyager party. Even if I'm out, somebody else can run the Voyager party. That's no big deal. Bob can run it or whatever. Um, and, uh, and then if you are listening to us on your favorite podcatcher, no live show on the 23rd means you will not get an episode on the 30th when the show drops. Yep. So, uh, just, just so that you're aware of the timings, uh, cause we lag a week. Yep. If you are, um, if you are a podcast listener, not a, a Twitch listener. Yeah. Jer, what do you got? All right. Last thing is Pandora Total Destruction. The Kickstarter begins on March uh, on March 16th. Uh, this is from a well, Slack member. It's going to be um, from Broken Ruler Games. And it is a game where you are playing characters with super destructive superpowers, basically ostracized by the world because of how damaging your abilities are. We then have to come out of uh, basically, uh, like boot camp, 
um, to help save the world from an alien invasion. Um, they like several cities have already been destroyed because of supers whose powers have gone out of control. And by out of control, I mean uh, we're we're doing a play test right now with the creator, and uh, it's things like um, like one of the characters can just uh, point at something and cause all of the electrons to lose their negative charge, which causes them to instantly like disrupt. Total uh, protonic reversal. Yeah, my character can um, control metal, so I can like pull metal from things and make other things. The problem is that when I do that, things get destroyed. So like, and, if I'm, and I'm not super controlled with it. So if I need to make like a shield, this is going to draw the nearest metal, which might be the rebar in the building behind me. Um, by, the, by the way, um, you, you have avoided saying who the creator of uh, this game is. Uh, Warden. Uh, yes, it's our very own Todd Crapper. Thank you. Yes. I could not remember the name. Thank, <laughs> you, thank you for saving me there. I was, see, this is the problem. When, this is the problem when you know everybody by their online names and not their real names. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's good. It, look, I love plugging. I love plugging uh, Kickstarters, but when it's, I, I agree. but Thank when you. it's, but when it's family, yeah. like I was hoping it, one of you guys would jump in there at the last minute and save me on yeah, that. Yeah, we, we wouldn't yes. let you uh, hang there. Uh, the Very word. own Todd Crapper. Yes, the word. Yes, uh, but, but we've done a lot. So it's going to drop. Uh, if you're listening to this on podcasts on, on podcatchers, it drops today. If you're listening to this uh, live, then you have to wait till future time to come. But it's been a lot of fun. It's got a very uh, simple game mechanic uh not a lot of dice uh, you could probably put your character on a, on a three by five card Sweet. um and a lot of your uh it's all um success success with complication failure with complication mechanics um the only thing is of course this is one of those games where complications while they might not do things to you complications also uh, often have um massive collateral damage yeah um, <laughs> and, <laughs> like i like it even more um you know like you might succeed, but level a city block, and um, which I think is super fitting for the for the. Um... It is. It's a lot of fun. It's uh, it's it's, and part of your characters are obviously you're trying not to do that stuff most of the yeah. time, um, but so yeah, it's been a lot of fun. It's cool. uh, we've been playing it on Discord, and uh, it's it's definitely a slightly gritty, grimmer, grittier setting because even your allies don't like you except for the the heroes. So, um, it's fun. So that's gonna be coming up. So, that brings us to the end of that one. Next. All right, time for the feature segment, and you know what that means, Phil. Oh, yes, I do. And here we go. Workshop, workshop, you're playing in the IPs. You're going to play a game, but no, wait, you're doing it different. Are you doing it wrong? Are you doing it right? How are you ever going to make this campaign with this IP work? We're going to tell you here in the workshop. Oh, yeah, and uh, don't suck. So, last week we started talking about ways to play and establish IPs, and it piqued my curiosity. But this topic is far from new. Countless people have talked about it, given advice about it before, but tonight we're going to take a look at it from the Misdirected Mark perspective. We're going to look at what makes an established IP where it is, why they're from the run games in, and the pitfalls they can create. And lastly, we're going to talk about just how to get the most fun out of them. But as a quick note, this topic is so big that we're not going to have time for a roundtable tonight, so our format's going to be a little different. We're still going to take a break and check with the chat room as we go, but you won't have our, our three big questions at the end. Also, this topic got big enough that we're only going to uh, focus on established IPs that existed before they were RPGs. Even though things like the Forgotten Realms, Dragonlance's Crin, Pathfinder's Galorian are all excellent IPs, they work slightly differently, and they're going to be a discussion for another time. Yeah, so, ser- seriously, like seriously, when I started writing the episode, yeah. like it, it ballooned up really quickly. Like this I was like writing job. and writing, and I like... <laughs> finally looked at like the page count of the show notes and i was like oh man we, we gotta like i gotta move the break into the middle of these notes like and we gotta stay tight 
Yeah, yeah. that being the said. The bosses yeah. will be mad. <laughs> We're going to be like, hey, Phil, what's an established IP? So I should probably hit this button. Yes. Behold! You are in the presence of Definition Panda. Yeah, let's, uh, we got a lot to cover, so I'm going to try to stay tight on this definition here. We're going to work it backwards, right? So we're going to start with IP, right? Short mm-hmm. for intellectual property. Um, technically defined as a work or invention that is the result of creativity, such as a manuscript or design to which one has rights and for which one may apply for a patent, copyright, trademark, etc. Okay. Um, the thing is, we've all been exposed to a whole bunch of IPs in our everyday life, right? Just every media that we interact with books, all of that stuff um, are IPs, right? Mm-hmm. The most, um, you know, among us, among us here in the geekdom, right? Some of the most um, uh, massive ones, right? Star Trek, Star Wars, Marvel, um, things like Firefly, right? Like mm-hmm. all of these things Like we're all familiar with, um, we're all familiar with intellectual properties in terms of role-playing games an established IP is a world that we can run a game in. Um, and in the case of many IPs, right in the case of many of these IPs, they were not created for role-playing games. That's actually going to be our focus tonight is we're going to talk about IPs that were not created intentionally for role-playing games. Um, uh, so we're going to take, we're going to take somebody's world and we're going to merge it with mechanics to get that role-playing game. Um, and, and so thus the IP really becomes independent um, of the mechanics. So there are some of the RPGs that are out there that share the same IP. For example, in Star Trek, um, there's the classic FASA version. There's the Lug version. There's the Cypher Star Trek. There's the 2020 Star Trek. There's even a whole line of GURPS Star Trek books. Yeah. And they're all different mechanics for the same game game universe. Under Marvel, there's the famous face rip Marvel superheroes. There's the card-based saga system. There's the Marvel heroic system. Under Lord of the Rings, you've got things like Merp, Middle Earth role-playing, uh, Decipher's version, Cubicle 7's update, and Freely's game that's coming out soon, which I'm excited about. Mm-hmm. Right. So any game world technically qualifies as a... Um, as an intellectual property. So, for example, Phil's World for Hydro Hackers is an IP, mm-hmm. as is the game world for every other game that has any sort of setting. Yeah. Um, but we now need to address the first word in that um, definition, which is established. Uh, having been in existence for a long time and therefore recognized and generally accepted. So when we talk about IPs, I think we can drop long time because role-playing games haven't actually been around for a long time. Um, and we can focus more on generally accepted, right? So an established IP is one, it's an intellectual property that's known to a large number of people, like Marvel, right? Mm-hmm. Um, not like Hydro Hackers, right? The Hydro Hackers world is an IP, but it's not really an established IP because it's not really wide, like widely known, um, to yet. anyone. Yet. <laughs> yet. Yes, of course. Um, uh, so, um, so then that makes up our de- definition of an IP, right? The intellectual property is going to be like a world, a setting, that kind of thing. And established means like a whole bunch of people know about it, like, and are familiar with it. And then I just got one more um, definition we got to drop in that's going to come up later in the segment. And that is the word canon. Mm-hmm. 
right? The works of a particular author or artist that are recognized as genuine. Mm -hmm. uh, when we think about established IPs, the things that are canons are it, things that are canon are the things that we have seen um, in those IPs. For example, in Star Wars, the established canon is considered the movies and the TV shows and any of the books that have been written after uh, Disney bought uh, Lucasfilms. The expanded universe of books are never Star Wars canon, and though well, they were canon for the first Star Wars RPG, uh, later Disney dropped almost all of it for the established canon. It's just been picking and choosing from it. Yeah, I think and they gave it like a nice little, they gave it like a cute name and like kicked it to the curb. Yeah. Expand, expanded universe is what they called it. Is that what it is? Ex no, they, 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 uh, they, they legend, created legends. Uh, legends, I think is what legends, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, uh, take this and they just, like, they just picked up the box and put it outside. Yeah. They were like, we're done Flick. with this. But hey, sorry. Yeah, they had to um, do something because there was a lot of stuff and a lot of there was crap. a lot of stuff. There was a lot. There was a lot of uncomfortable stuff there. That's that they're picking and choosing the best stuff from. Those of you who watch things like Rebels have seen characters from the EU show up. Even the Mandalorian. Some of the stuff in the Mandalorian yes. comes from uh, the, the expanded universe. They're doing a good job of picking the things that are that are are, are, are useful. And, oh yeah, uh, I don't get me wrong. Less, when, less squicky, less squicky. when when in Mandalorian they mentioned Thrawn, I was like, yeah, oh okay, <laughs> like like yeah. like all okay. right, good, like yeah, absolutely, yeah. like look, don't drop a moon on Chewbacca, but yes, <laughs> yeah. bring Admiral Thrawn, yeah. like all right, and, and, so, and do not read the courtship of Princess Leia, just don't. Yeah, so all right, wrapping all it right. up. Go ahead, Bob. <laughs> I think yeah. we're all comfortable with what an established <laughs> IP is, but Jerry, why make yes. a game using an established IP? When we can just make our own world. Well, uh, this is a. Go ahead, just play it. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I've learned, bitch, this game is about motherfucking money. I make that dollar, y'all motherfucking money. That's why. <laughs> that is uh, from Epic Rap Battles. That is uh, Michael Bay. Uh, <laughs> For those of you listening, it's also the first time Jerry's heard that quote. That's why it was kind of funny. Um, so, with our Frank years on, uh, let's listen to this. Basically, um, established IPs are established, and that means they have a built-in fan base. Uh, there's going to be a built-in audience who's going to want to purchase the game. Um, there's a lot of completionists out there who, if they like something, they want everything about it, so they're going to buy the game just to have it on their shelf, even if they don't play it. And since RPGs in general keep people up heavily, the chance that somebody who plays RPGs will also like Star Trek is pretty high. And there's the converse, which is this is also a way for RPG publishers to pull people who are not gamers into RPGs through an RP IP that they like and play other things. Yeah. So beyond the finances, right? Not to be totally mercenary, right? Beyond the fin finances. The other reason that publishers like established IPs is that um, they're also geeks and gamers as well. And so they want to play games in these worlds, just like we do. And as designers, they have their own ideas of how to emulate that world with their design. Right. So I think it's so to me, I think that, like this is um, one of the cool parts. If you if you're into kind of studying uh, RPGs and RPG design is when you look at an established property and you look at how the designer is interpreting it. Right. They're like they're telling you through their design mm -hmm. the things that they think are important yep. about, you know, about that IP. Right. And they're they're pulling out like you know how well do they address the tropes how do their mechanics emulate the things that we're that we see on tv because if we're talking about 
um, an established IP, the way that people regard an established IP as being, quote, good or not, again, totally subjective. But many times it's when I play it, does it feel like, like, does it feel like the media that I was consuming? If I'm playing Marvel superheroes, do I feel like I am Captain America? Or, you know, one of my frustrations with um, uh, D20 Star Wars is that, like, Jedis don't feel like Jedis unless you're playing at a ridiculously high level. Like, mm-hmm. a third level Jedi is, like, like only occasionally parries a lightsaber bolt and gets, you know, shot a lot. And it's, you know, it doesn't feel um, quite as cool as cool. the movies. So yeah, like that's the like that's the thing, right? Like there is a geeky and design part of it. I you know, not to be brutal about the money, but sure, like look, everybody wants to land a big IP, like that is bank. And that can be part of the fun of it when you're as a as a GM or a player is figure out how to emulate it. Um trying mm-hmm. to find a game system that does it well. well so, or just use five E. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you can always do it in 5e. You, you can always do anything look, with 5e. Whatever it is, you could make your own, you could figure it out, or just do it in 5e. It like you can just it's fine. Sorry. <laughs> this coffee's hitting this coffee's hitting particularly well tonight. Or you can always do it in fate, because you can do everything in fate. You know, you can say that about No, you actually system. can do that in fate. You can actually. I know you can with most of them, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying I share the same argument a lot. <laughs> Hey, listen, I got parents who will tell you you can do it in Savage Worlds and you can't always do it in Savage Worlds. Oh, either. boy, that's the other one, right? Oh, I, I just Every game system. No, but it, that is, it can be fun to, it can actually be fun to try to play around with those. We'll talk about that a little bit later, though. Yeah. Uh, so um, with with the money idea and the finances and game design, the hardest part, though, is getting the established IP in the first place because now you're in the land of lawyers, royalty payments, and approvals. Um, it's going to be pretty hard to get an established IP as a small publisher. And this tends to regulate the established IPs of larger publishers. Um, in addition, there are often going to be rules on what you can and can't do with your, with your oh. product along the same lines. But if you get an established IP into, into the vault, a publisher <coughs> can push it all the way up to a totally different tier. Uh, look at Evil Hat Games before and after Dresden came out. Dresden not only made Evil Hat a lot of money, but also gave them a huge fan base, which allowed future projects like Fake Core to be so successful. Uh, Margaret Weiss Productions had all of those uh, Firefly and CW projects that were on its list that really kind of pushed them into the forefront for a couple of years with things yeah. like Supernatural and Smallville and Buffy and Firefly. Yeah, so I mean, it can really get you along the way. Yeah. One of the hard parts is sometimes maintaining those IPs, which yeah, is yes. why um, you will see like a, a game show up um, and then it'll be around for a while and then it goes away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Like because eventually like either the either the contract runs out or the payments don't hit targets like it, like it's tough like yeah it's a um, very it's a very tricky field to play on yeah i i am very much in love with a very obscure ip and everybody um that i've wanted to make a game out of and people have warned me to just uh clone it um and and scrape the um serial numbers off it cuz it is not worth tangling legally with what it would take to make it into um like to actually get the the IP because it's not actually that established, it's not that well known, and um, it would be more of a pain in the ass to manage the license than it would to be to just kind of uh, file off some serial numbers and make the game myself. Yeah, 
All right. There's even games like uh, right. we're getting off script again, Hero. guys, and we the gotta stay tight. Bob, so. hey, Bob's Bob's putting the hammer down. Bob, go ahead. Move on. I gotta drop the hammer because we got a lot of stuff to get through. It's your fault, Phil. Remember that. Uh huh. It is totally my fault. So there's an incentive for making an RPG about established IPs, such as TV, comic books, movies. But before we get into GMing the the GMing aspects, is there ever a time when a game becomes an established IP itself? Uh huh. Yeah, we're actually starting to see that happen now, right? Like, Mm -hmm. um, as games and gaming becomes more and more popular, we're starting to see games become IPs for other games. Right. And we're starting to actually see games become IPs for other media, which is also really cool. Yeah. Um, Uh, For example, Mass Effect is totally an IP. There's so much well done fan made that there's a fan made fake version out there that exists um, that is an excellent version of the Mass Effect world. Um, It is also slightly controversial. Fate, a little bit controversial fate version. Okay, bring uh, that back up in the after show then, because I want to know what's going on. So, sure. Yeah, sure. Uh, all right. Um, things like the board game for Root is the IP for an RPG for Magpie. Mm-hmm. Um, the Artel Story and Cyberpunk uh, tabletop role playing game IP is the basis for a video game. Mm-hmm. The board game Battleship became a, a, an odd movie. Um, I was going to say a terrible movie, but your opinion may vary. So I'll just say it was an odd movie. It was. Um, and and so on. Um, right. Uh, oh, holy. Uh, oh, go ahead. I mean, Super Mario Brothers the movie. That's all I'm going to say. Um, so. I mean, you could. I mean, Battleship says enough. But I like my mileage is very different than <laughs> I was the one who wrote the word terrible into the Street Fighter. Right, Raul Julia. I um, haven't I haven't seen enough of the movie to say it was terrible because oh. I turned it off every time I turn it on. I can't follow it. So oh, I, turn it back off I I so. challenge you to watch that movie. Okay. Like, it's not good. All right. The Holy Grail, of course, is when an RPG becomes the IP for a movie or TV show, Um, though it's still possible that that will be bad. uh, Hence, you know, most of the D&D movies made to date. Um, Uh, Definitely the first one. Go ahead. Go, the, go the, the, the first D and D movie was was not a good movie. The generally no. general consensus not a good movie. Second one, there's a lot to like about it. Not yeah. great, but there's a lot to like about it. As, as Jerry has in the notes, the third one actually was a well put together movie. It's still not great, but it was way better put together than the other one. Yeah, and we'll talk in the after show about why that is. So go ahead. Nope. Okay, this it, but it's still listen. It's still the dream of every RPG designer. Oh to have one of their settings um, cross into, um, you know, cross into media. I, I mean, by the way, Netflix or Amazon Prime, if you're listening and you want to hear a pitch about a world where hydropunk Robin Hoods steal water to keep their neighborhoods alive, just just call me. Call me. Do we okay. know anybody at Disney? Yeah. I, I don't know if I, I don't think I can swing Disney dollars there. <laughs> All right, so now that we've talked about the publishing and the business side of established IPs, how about we focus on how to use them in your games, because we are a gaming podcast after all, am I right? So, Jerry, mm-hmm. what is it about established IPs that can make them an enjoyable RPG experience? Well, first of all, well, there's a lot of number of reasons why. The number one is fantasy fulfillment. It's a pretty useful experience among role players that you're consuming some sort of IP and think, I would love to play in this world. I want to play in... John Wick or Star Wars or whatever. Um, number two, the RPGs are simply a more mature and structured way of playing pretend. And for many of us, especially us Gen Xers who were outside playing through their childhood, 
we did things like Star Wars or G.I. Joe, we're acting out the characters, um, you know, I shot, you know, you missed kind of thing is taken out of the picture with RPGs. And lastly, if you've ever written any sort of fanfic about any established IP, that's really a solo form of fantasy fulfillment. And RPGs let us do that. Absolutely. No judgment on fanfic either. Nope, not at all. Totally fine. All right. So fanfic, so, so fantasy fulfillment isn't the only reason why established IPs are enjoyable to play. Here are a couple other reasons. First, share, excuse me, shared imaginative space. One of the most challenging parts of an RPG is that so much of the setting exists in our imaginations. And while we all understand it, we don't share one single vision of what it is. But with an established IP, elements of the world exist in visual media, meaning that we don't have to imagine what the Enterprise D or the, <coughs> excuse me, or the Firefly ship looks like. We've seen them on TV. And that makes it easier to create and easier to establish a shared imaginative space of what things are, what they look like, what they sound like. Yeah, absolutely. Right. I mean, it's so much easier if I can just show you the picture and be like, mm-hmm. this is a Klingon bird of prey. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the next one is robust worlds. Um, the more established an IP is, the more material exists for it, which means that the GM has a vast resource to pull material from for their games. Mm-hmm. Um, and conversely, if you're the game publisher, a vast amount of material to turn into supplements. Right. Like, do not neglect the idea that these also then become, um, you know, commercially profitable as well. Mm-hmm. With um, more established IPs, there are also non RPG source books and material that the GM can use in addition to any of the RPG material that the game designer and publisher makes. So, like, take, for instance, the Star Trek technical manuals. Um, I have the Voyager one uh, that just came out recently. That is like this unbelievable resource. Now it's technically about Voyager, but like I plan when I run this, when I, when I'm running Star Trek, um, later this year, I, I plan on using the Intrepid class ship. Mm-hmm. Well, that book's got like cutaway diagrams of like every part of the ship. Like it's fully illustrated. That's all material that I can like pull into the game. Um, for when I'm like building my scenarios or, you know, playing, you know, playing, I can show pictures of it. Like, you know, this is, you know, this is what engineering, this is how engineering is laid out. Um, you know, that kind of thing. So like, that's huge, right? Like that's not even work that the publisher has to do. That's just other stuff you can grab onto and then take that one step further. If you're like, if you're, um, if your IP is even like, is so established that, there could then become um there is, and in many there are fan created material that goes actually beyond um canon right yeah. so like in star trek there are like all sorts of people who keep making ship designs yep mm-hmm. so if you don't want to use one of the known ships like an intrepid or something like that there are these pdfs they're out there on the web and i forget the actual names of them they are just literally chocked full of just one ship design after another. Now, your mileage may vary because they're fan created, but there's like a lot of good stuff out there. Mm-hmm. Trap um, yards. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, and that's enormous. Like if you're mm-hmm. a GM and you're like, boy, like I need like, you know, I need inspiration. I need a planet. I need a ship. What? Like, boom. Yeah, and then yeah. on top of that, I'll just add a, as a last piece. Um, some of these are then organized into wikis, right? Wikipedia, if you're running a Star Wars game, Wikipedia is like your best friend. Yes. Um, and if you're running um, Star Trek, um, what is it? Memory, memory, memory Core Alpha, Alpha. Yeah. is your like is your best friend. Everything you need to know, 
you can find in those two wikis. So um, it's a huge resource if you are a GM in terms of what you can pull in. Yeah. So the last thing you're going to have is you're going to have some established tropes. Um, established IPs come with some established tropes, and in some cases, they're the ones who invented these tropes. And this means that the GM and players can draw on these tropes to more easily run and play in the game. It helps to explain um, why things work and don't work. Um, and, you know, why in Star Trek do they never have their full torpedoes uh, ready to fire when they encounter somebody? There's a trope. There's a, no, there's, there's actually a trope in the, in the show that explains how and why and mm-hmm. helps to keep your game running as to why your players don't constantly just run around shooting everything they see. There's a reason for it. You know, why do holodex malfunction? That sort of thing. It's all built in. And so when they happen in the game, they're not being pulled out of left field or make the players think the GM is picking on them. No, everybody's playing to that trope. And it makes it a lot more fun to lean on those tropes and have a good time with it. Yep. I I fully planned for my Star Trek RPG that I'm going to have all the players brainstorm um, all the episode tropes from past Star Treks, including like episode examples like mm-hmm. holodeck malfunction, transporter malfunction, um, uh, space anomaly that's alive, um, yep. you know, all like all of those things, right? Uh, alien, alien that uh, Universal Translator doesn't work on, right? Like mm. all of those. And I'm just going to make a deck of them like on index cards. Mm-hmm. And that's how I'm going to pick my adventures. Like I'm just going to like after we finish one, I'm just going to like shuffle through the cards and I'm just going to be like, and the next one is, Ah, uh, Mirror Universe episode coming up. Yeah, baby. right. Oh, uh, so for all the good they are, what are the issues that can cause an established IP not to be as much fun? Yeah, so there's some challenges, right? To running, um, there's challenges to running established IPs without a doubt. Um, they're not insurmountable. So we're going to talk about some of these issues. They're not insurmountable, but if the expectations are not set properly for these, like they can make things less fun for people and it's going to get, we're going to go through them and it's going to get like, we're going to talk about it. It's going to get really subjective here because some mm-hmm. people are going to be like, Oh, this is like, I don't care about that. And other people yeah. are going to be like, I'm going to rend my garments if you do that. Right. Like <laughs> there's, yep. um, there's a really famous, um, in the first year of gnomes Two, there's a really famous, um, article on the website that's called, um, the Star Wars IP must die in a fire. Something to that effect. Was it Star um, Trek or Star Wars? Star Wars, I think. Star Wars. Did I say Star Trek? No, you said Wars, but I couldn't remember. Okay, I think it's Star Wars. We can look it up. Matt Nagley wrote it. Um, but the idea was that uh, it, it talks about the frustrations of running established IPs um, with certain people. And it's really not that the IP needs to die. It's really talking about the frustrations that sometimes um, cr- that crop up. But here we go. We're going to go through some of these challenges. Jerry, what is the first challenge um, when it comes to an established IP? Determine your canon. As we just uh, mentioned the definitions, there's different definitions of what constitutes canon for the IP. For the Star Wars game, do you want to run in the third trilogy or expanded universe? Do you want to run um, you know, back in the, in the prequel series? Do you want to run before or after? What are you pulling out? And if that hurts your head, Let's talk about where you'd want to run a Marvel game. Um, and I have my own canon that borrows from several Marvel Earths, and it doesn't, it doesn't really re- uh, look like any of the existing canons at this time. So you just do what you can. The challenge is coming up with an established canon for your game, and then letting people know what it is. It doesn't have to be the entire part of an IP. You can leave certain things out. 
where you can say we're just not going to talk about this or it's not going to occur. It can be a subset of that IP. We're only going to deal with this little chunk here. Um, but it's important that the group needs to know what is and not is not canon. Because this is going to have pretty large effects. Um, for example, if you decide to go with the EU, it's going to say something about what post-Jedi Luke Skywalker and the Jedis look like versus what the Jedis look like when you include uh, the third trilogy of Star Wars. They're very different looking uh, situations. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, the next one, the next challenge, right, is adherence to canon. So mm-hmm. once you know what the canon is for your game, uh, you have to decide how mutable that canon will be, right? Can the characters change any part of the canon? Can the GM change any part of the canon? So going back to Star Wars, if you add in the prequels, then are you counting midichlorians in your game? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, I mean, technically it's canon. Um, Bob made the face, right? Like, but it's canon. How much canon are you going to, um, are you going to adhere to? Are you going to snip some out? Are you going to, um, you know, allow wholesale changes, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. For some people, this is exactly the reason they're here to play, right? Is to play in the, um, to play in this established IP, but like, but they want to make their own impact on the canon, yep. right? So such as having, um, a superhero team that was also on the battle world during the first secret <laughs> wars. Holy crap. I want that. Yes. Right. Yeah, it's totally fun, but I've read the Secret Wars comics. I know your characters weren't there. Like, or were they? Or were they, right? I'm going to go back and check. I've got the trade up on the shelf, but I'm pretty sure they weren't. But, but that is adherence to canon, right? Are, are, does your characters get to go to Battle World or not? Um, for some people, that's going to just like, I mean, they're going to rend their garments in front, like frustration. Um, because they want to keep the canon intact, um, but they want to be like, they still want it, like they still want to interact with it in some respect. So maybe they didn't get to go to battle world, but maybe they were in New York city while everybody else was on battle world. I want to play that one too. That sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. I mean, that's a fun one, right? I like, I mean, there no were still plenty. I mean, magnetic colon lead couldn't have been on battle world somewhere other than where the fighting was going on. It's just a whole tale of these superheroes like lost on some road trip traveling around Battle World. Meanwhile, like everybody else is fighting Galactus and shit. Ooh, look at that. <laughs> like they, they wind up getting home like, I don't know, that was a weird trip. And like, what's spite why is Spider-Man like in this? Why is the Hulk's leg broken? Like, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> what's the next one, Jer? All right. Next you have to be aware of is what is your continuity of events? If your game is taking place the same time as some of the canon material, your stories have to occur in a way that they don't conflict with that continuity. So if you're doing a Star Wars adventure that takes place during Episode Four, and you set your adventure at Alderaan, you better get those players off planet before it's destroyed if you're trying to maintain some sort of continuity. Um, and this gets trickier the closer you are to the characters and the events that make up the canon. If you're playing before the established canon and you're adhering to it, then anything you do in the canon's past can't disrupt the events to come. So you can't steal the Millennium Falcon before episode four and then keep it. Hot and chewy need it. And so you can steal it for a small period of time, but eventually they're going to get it back from you. Yeah. Um, or you give it up and they find it, whatever, whatever. Right. Okay. Which which is totally cool, right? Like that's a totally cool kind of thing if you're if you're doing that in a game, it's like, you know, hey, for a couple sessions, like you have the Millennium Falcon. Right. But then mm-hmm. at some point you gotta like leave it somewhere. Um so Han and Chewie found it. We just never heard the story about how they lost it and found it again. 
Okay. Uh, the last challenge is the IP's main characters, right? So you need to determine how you're going to deal with the main characters that are in the IP. Are they going to be present in your game? Will the characters have a chance to meet and interact with them? Um, in games that have level progressions, um, so, you know, D20-like games and things like that, main characters are usually ridiculously powerful. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, if you're playing a low-level um, D20 Star Wars game, you don't really want Luke Skywalker showing up a whole bunch because that NPC is going to outclass you in every front. That's like throwing um, Elminster into your, into your party dynamic. <clears throat> exactly. <throat> it's exactly that problem, <clears throat> right? Um, but in other games, like superhero games, it's like way less of an issue, right? It's almost expected that um, in a superhero game, you're going to do crossovers with established canon characters and things like that, right? So mm -hmm. your heroes, as you roll them up, may be just as powerful as the Fantastic Four. So teaming up with them for an issue to fight, you know, Terax or something, not a big deal. Mm -hmm. Like, it's totally fine. And and in fact, probably characters, want, like players will want that. Um, because teaming up, like, you know, your tank teaming up with, you know, with, with the thing, you know, to punch, you know, Terax and, like through a building uh -huh. might be a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. So, as a GM player, you also understand that some or all these questions may be more important to some players than others, depending on their love and understanding of source material. Um, it's also important as a player to remember that your GM may not have your knowledge. So, you, as a player, you also have to be understanding that you either discuss with the GM ahead of time, you know, what is going to happen when something comes up and you need to discuss it. Because you can't be sitting there being that rule book, that rule book player who's like, oh, no, no. And, you know, Captain Earthworm 735, he didn't take on Dr. Nematode. He didn't do it until six episodes later. Just don't be that guy. <laughs> All right. But now that we understand the challenges and perks of established IPs, let's take a quick break and check in with the chat room. But first, Bob, tell us about another show on the Misdirected Mark Network. Why, yes, I would love to tell you about a show called Zhanghu Hustle. Train alongside fellow students Eric Farmer and Eli Kurtz in Zhanghu Hustle. Eric and Eli make their kung fu stronger by wa watching wuxia films and then discussing how to apply their observations to game design. Good stuff. And if Very you follow their stuff. Slack, they are starting to do um, watch parties again yep. with these shows. They did one. They just did one last weekend. Yep. Nice. So, I um, yeah. that last bit that you put in there, Jer, is, yeah. is absolutely the reason why there was one day where Chris was like, "I'm going to run Star Trek," and I'm like, "I can't play this game." <laughs> not not because of Chris, but because I was going to be the asshole. Yeah, like oh, yeah. I like I was like I can't I play this be because guy. if I play it, I, I'm either going to chew out the inside of my mouth, not saying anything, um, or I'm going to definitely be the asshole who's like. But actually, in this episode, <laughs> like they were able to use an inverse, you know, tachyon field. You know, blah 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 blah. Like, I would totally have been. Um, oh, I, a hundred percent know this. So bad that in order to play Star Trek with the group of players I wanted to play with, I made them go to Star Trek school. Right? Like, I, yep. I mean, I, I made yep. people go to Star Trek school because I was like, no, you will play this wrong. Mm -hmm. I need to make sure you understand Star Trek before we play. You must play. have a baseline level. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, and that's, hey, look, I mean, I don't want to be the asshole, but I think it's important to recognize that I could be, therefore, I need to do something about that. Yeah, and it's and it's important to cover that. I've I've mentioned a couple times about playing Lord of the Rings, the GM who didn't realize, who didn't take into account the fact that only one of his players had ever seen the original cartoons or read the books, and so they didn't have any love for his characters or anything. They were just playing the game like your typical 1980s murder hobos. And he was not happy and eventually flipped the table because he hadn't established to us what was important and it worked both ways. You know, that, that's exactly what would have happened, Phil, is you would have had yep. the same kind of thing going on. And so it's important to have that happen. Um, I, was the, I was the only player in that group who knew Lord of the Rings and it was not good when we decided to rip off the ring from Frodo. So, uh, <laughs> and, and you guys are right now, you guys are right now playing a Dresden game. Yeah. Yeah. Which, yeah. which, which is interesting because Bob knows, like, Bob voraciously devours every Dresden book, like, the moment it arrives yeah. in his mailbox. Mm-hmm. And Jerry's read, like, a Dresden book. Two. That's it. Two, two Dresden books. I, I enjoyed them. I just have to read the rest of them. Yeah. No, no, I, but I'm saying, like, it. like, that's really good because that's actually, like, I mean, we don't have a lot of time to have, um, case studies and maybe we do have to have an extra episode to do some roundtable stuff, but that's actually like a really good discussion because you guys are playing in a canon with very different levels of knowledge uh, yeah. about, about the, like, um, essentially like two, two and a half different levels. Chris and yeah. I are both, uh, are both voracious fans of the, of the IP. Uh, Chris is actually a book ahead of me because I still haven't read the, the latest one. Um, Jerry's read two. Um, Dennis has read a handful, I think. He's, I think he's almost up to where you guys are. I just don't think, I just don't think he, he absorbed them the way you guys did. Yeah. So yeah, yeah there, there's, there's like three different so, levels. So every, so every game we normally have at some point in the game, 10 minutes of Dresden school for Jerry. Yes. Yeah. And, it's, and, and yeah, it's I don't even think it's I, 10 minutes. It's and, just and, a quick explanation of, oh, by the way, this thing works like this. Yeah. So that you know, and yeah. Yeah. And away you go. And what's fun, and what's fun is I get the input from three different points of view that all, correspond which makes the game makes the world seem that much more real because they're all telling me the same thing and adding to it so i'm yep. getting a really nice it's not just one person saying this is how it works in my game it's people and you can do this and this and this and here's an example and it's like and also like yes now i have a total view of how the game works yeah, yeah we're gonna do a part two of this show yeah, <laughs> yeah. i'm already feeling like I'm, I'm feeling like there's a lot of meat left on this bone we could talk we're gonna <laughs> that's okay no no i'm saying we're gonna do a part two to this show hmm. um right. next week all right Chat so, room's pretty much all caught up with us. They, they've been voraciously, uh, paying attention. Um, a little bit of side chatter about, uh, Andy says she wants, if she plays in a Marvel world, she wants the bed Thor and, and doesn't matter if it, if it breaks canon or not. And I'm like, well, that's fine. I mean, you can bed Thor. Cool. Yeah. Does, does it, does it matter which Thor? Well, that's the thing. It could be Loki in disguise. Yeah. But, but, but I mean, you're, you're <laughs> not you're, frog you're, Thor. I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, you got, you got storm Thor. You got, uh, Blake Thor, you've got Masterson Thor, you've got Lady Thor, you've got Future Thor. I mean, there, there's a lot of Thors there. there and I'm not saying that isn't, that isn't a goal for the, for the, you know, <laughs> for the game. So. Oh, man. Holy. We just got an offer for Andy to, um, to come on and talk about, um, about canon games because, um, <laughs> uh, she's on the, uh, Redemption. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, I, and now that we're all, you know, zoomed and stuff, like, 
Totally that's very that. doable. All right, we're going to talk about that. Yeah. That, yeah. that could be we a lot of fun. We, we haven't actually yes. brought a guest on, but um, yes. we could definitely do a roundtable with some with some guests. This is... There you go. And if I got right. one minor plug-in, Redemption was good. It gets so much better when Andy jumps in. I don't it. doubt that in the least. Excellent. <clears throat> so. All right. Cool. So, yeah. now that we've looked into what makes the established IPs both enjoyable and challenging... Let's look at maximizing the enjoyable uh, and re- uh, the enjoyable parts and reducing any challenges. Jerry, how do we have fun with these? All right. So no surprise that the first bit of advice is to get your group together and talk about this. In your session zero, and you have to have a session zero, you want to have a discussion with the four topics we mentioned before. What's going to be canon? How tightly are we going to adhere to canon? How tight will our continuity be? And how are we going to handle the major characters? And from these answers, you're going to pick an approach as to how your group wants to engage in this established IP. As a point of reference or a starting point, we've compiled a number of these approaches. We've broken them up into two general approaches when it comes to events that can make up the canon. Right, so you can just avoid the canon material, or you can be part of the canon material. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to avoid the events, this is some ways you can approach it. Yep, so first one, play before everything happens. Right, so run your game in a prequel era or the pre-prequel pre-pre-prequel error, whatever, um, before the established event occurs. Um, This is going to require a little bit of work to maintain continuity to the main events. Uh, But the further back you start, uh, the less you have to worry about this, right? So like, for instance, you could just have a John Wick game that takes place uh, before John retires, right? We don't really know too much about the world. The Mm -hmm. only things we know is that there's a handful of characters you can't kill, right? Like, that's it. And if you can just avoid doing that um, and avoid, you know, blowing up the Continental or something, um, you'll be fine. Right. Yeah. And then you can just go off and have John Wick goodness. And, um, you know, there's another guy running around New York killing people or around the world named John Wick. Mm-hmm. Totally. You fine. can also you also play after after everything happens. Run your game after the established events end. You don't have to worry about continuity because all that stuff happened in the past. This is easy if the established set of events are not extensive. You'll need to consider how far after the main events do you want to start. So, for example, if you're running a hackers-inspired game of 90s digital social justice, have it take place after Zero Cool Acid Bird and the gang stop the attack on the Ellingson Mineral. Yeah. You mm-hmm. just, like, they can just do other hacks. Yeah. 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 And, and free and clear, right? There's just nothing else there to yeah. get in, to get in your way. Yeah. Um, next one is play far away from where the events are occurring. Yeah. Um, you can play as, you can play at the same time as the events. But your characters and stories are just nowhere near what's going on. Um, And this allows your events to unfold in parallel. Like it allows the major events of the continuity to unfold in parallel to what's going on with your stuff. But it avoids the messiness of them bumping into each other or having to like really like work continuity thing, you know, points and things like that. So, for instance, um, your Star Trek game is set in the Beta Quadrant when the Dominion War breaks out. Like, yeah, it's the Dominion War, but you're like nowhere near Bajor and the Alpha Quadrant and all those other things. Like, you got your own problems out in the Beta Quadrant. And, you know, we can still hear all the stories about, like, the Romulans joining the war and all of that. But you're you're doing your thing, right? Free and clear. Now, here are some ways you can run your game with your characters in the middle of the established events. So first, so do it in the background, right? In this approach, your characters are in some or all of the major events, 
but the things they're doing are in parallel to the actions of the main characters. This allows you to be part of the established timeline, but not to mess with continuity, right? So, like, for instance, in your Star Wars game, your Rebel Commando team also landed on the moon of Endor, but your objective was to take out a TIE fighter squadron that was at a, that was a reserve force that was protecting another, you know, that was protecting the moon. We didn't see that in the movie, but it doesn't mean that it couldn't have happened. Right. We only like we only see Return of the Jedi from the main character's point of view. We don't know who else landed on the, you know, on the on the moon and did stuff. So your your thing could totally support the attack on the Death Star and all of that. You just did it in the background in a different place. Number two, you can have them become the main characters. And this approach is one of my favorites. Hmm. You do away with the main characters either before the game starts or early in the game. And the players have to fill the role of the main characters and play through the events. You still get to play out the main events and main characters <clears throat> without the main, with the main characters, but you're playing them as different people. So, for example, in Lord of the Rings game, you come upon the Fellowship and they're all dying. And the dying Frodo hands your group the ring and tells you to destroy it just before he dies in your arms. Yeah. Shit just got real. Mm-hmm. Also, you can throw all the other cannon out at that point. Like, yeah. you are, you are now just free and clear. Like, you have ideas and events and characters to use, but you are free and clear. Now. A great idea. Yep. Let's summon the giant eagles and have them fly us there. Boom! This campaign is done. <laughs> oh, oh, the giant eagles were hungry. <clears throat> Sorry. Um, the next one is you could play the main characters, mm-hmm. right? In this approach, the players just take the role of the major characters and play through the major events. And this avoid, this totally avoids the problem of the, uh, of interacting with the main characters because you are them. Um, but it makes, and it makes the holding of the continuity like nearly impossible because players are never going to do things, um, they're they're never going to do it the same way as the movie uh and dice rolling and all of that stuff is never going to work the way a movie script works right so in your um in your star trek uh kelvin universe game um your players choose to play the bridge crew of the enterprise complete with beastie boys soundtrack yeah (laughs) no not yeah that's bad (laughs) kelvin timeline good beastie boys soundtrack bad the second Sorry. time. The second time. Sorry. <laughs> I have, some, I, have Phil has I actually actually love the Kelvin Universe stuff for what it is, but I yeah. it was I'm a total right shark now, jumping moment for, for me it. for the night. I yeah, want so- them to do a Kelvin timeline next gen movie. Give me a recast of all the next gen characters and do a Kelvin timeline next gen movie. Oh yeah, that'd be interesting. I'm just trying to imagine so here's the thing, right? Here here's here's where I all right, a few seconds aside here. This is where I stumble with the next gen version of the Kelvin timeline. The Kelvin timeline is the action movie version of, of Star Trek, right? Cause it's the solve problems with, with phasers, fists and cool flying. So what is like, what is Kelvin Picard? Like, what does Kelvin Picard look like? Because he's not a diplomat. He's like a swashbuckler or something. Like he's like, He's definitely not. He's definitely but, not. But, okay. Um, okay, but is he? Because even on the original series, Kirk was not as much a diplomat as he was. I mean, while Kelvin Kirk is much more of a two-fisted character, uh, uh, even original series Kirk was prone to to 
to like ask questions first, but punch right after that. All right, I'm just going to say, I'm just yeah. going to say this. Yeah. Kelvin Kirk jumps a motorcycle into an alien compound. Yes. To beat up bad guys. Yes. You're going to have to make the Jean-Luc equivalent of that in the, the Kelvin universe is an action movie. It is not, yes. it is, yes. it is an action movie set in a sci-fi universe, <laughs> not science fiction stories. Yes. All right. So I'm interested in your, I'm interested in it. I just think what you do is you get rid of Picard and you just have Riker because, yes. because Captain Riker <clears throat> is exactly what you need for the Kelvin universe. But What's it? Perhaps, but not today. But, but not today. All right. Back to the topic. All right, anyway. <clears throat> By the way, somebody asked what's wrong with Beastie Boys. There's nothing wrong with the Beastie Boys. The Beastie Boys totally slap. I just don't like that they use the Beastie Boys. They use sabotage in the middle of the third Trek movie. I had a lot of problems with that. Anyway, yeah. uh, Jerry, what's another thing you can do? All right. Another thing you can do is you can credit the established IP you know are playing an alternate universe to the one that you all know, which is basically what they did with the Kelvin universe. Yeah. Okay. Yes. This frees you from all continuity issues. As the established IP everyone knows is not messed up, and this world is yours to do with. Um, in your Marvel game, you can do what a lot of us have done and create the 716 universe and keep playing. It's either the 616 universe, which is the established Marvel comic universe, or the 199, is that is, is the 199999, is that the MCU? Yeah, that's MCU. Okay, MCU is is one under 200,000. I'm not going to read that all out. Yes. But you're, you're going to have all the Marvel stuff and none of the need for the continuity. Yep. Your Fantastic Four might include... You know, Victor Von Doom, whatever you want to do with it. Yeah, and, and the cool and the cool part is Marvel already set that up for you. Yep. Yes. Multiple times. <laughs> More times than you care to you care to know. But yeah. They're all, they're um, all lovely. I forget, did do either one of you comic buffs know which um what number universe the new Marvel universe was? The one with Starbrand and uh, uh, DP7 oh, and all of those? No, but I'll tell you in a second. I'll let you go look that up. Uh, the next yeah, thing you I can do, and our, and our last example, is the new timeline. Uh, in this approach, you take a moment in the middle of the established... You take a moment in the middle of the established timeline, and your campaign starts at that point, but has its own set of events. Um, and this allows you to have a certain amount of established events and the major characters, but then declares that everything from that point on is free to change, right? So you could be like, all right, look, I want to run this game. It's 616. It starts right after the Civil War, um, like right after Civil War. And um, that's where like that's where our game is going to start. So everything that's happened after Civil War to blah, 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 and the like hundred other crossovers, like none of those happened, but we're definitely playing 616 and we're starting right after Civil War. Cap's dead. You know, there's all this bad blood. I forget. What is it? Iron Man gets tossed out of shield. And um, what's by the way, spoilers takes over spoilers for a 20 year old plot line, by the way. (laughs) Yeah, right. It's fair. It's fair. So um, the star brand originated in Earth one four eight six one one. Okay, that's the number they use. Anyway, yeah. Anyway, anyway, that's so. New timeline is the other way that you can play in the in the universe. It frees you from a certain set of constraints. Take it, Jerry. Mm-hmm. All right. And if you want to get advanced, some of these can be mixed together. You can play the main characters in an alternate universe. You can mix it up however you like. The important thing is you and your group figure out which approach fits best. And how you want to engage the IP so you get the most enjoyment out of it. I mean, no shit. Make sure you all adhere to it. No shit. Our advice comes down to you need to talk to your players. 
because yeah. all of our advice comes down to an advanced version of you need to talk to your players, which yeah. is why the focus of our show for now is not that you need to talk to your players. We need to help you with what you need to talk that's to your players exactly about. It. Yeah. Um, so that's the, like, that's the point. Um, but yeah, like, and, and the reason this is important, um, cause we are coming up on the end of the segment. Mm -hmm. So I'll just mention this and it, and Cherry mentioned it before, right? Yeah. Is people have different feelings about different IPs, yep. right? And it, yeah. and look, this shit gets emotional, right? Like, mm -hmm. um, it, I mean, some of it can just be entertainment. Some of it can be tied to, you know, um, I mean, listen, it could be honestly, it could be tied to childhood trauma. Like, Maybe you had like, you know, a particularly bad patch when you were uh, like a teen or preteen and <clears throat> um, Star Trek was the way that you get like that you got through it. Like you mm -hmm. watched all these episodes. Right. So like yeah. the the feelings that you have invested in these IPs is going to vary greatly among yeah. people. Like some people are going to be like Firefly. Yeah, I loved it. It's great. It's cool. You know, but like we can fuck around in that universe all you want. No big deal. Mm -hmm. um, where other people are going to be like you know this is like this thing is you know sacred to me yep. like that kind of thing and and that's why like these games are so alluring because when we see them we're like oh yeah i totally want to play in this universe but if you don't like kind of head check where the rest of the group is you could just be all over the place in terms of yep. expectations you got one person who like wants to bust up all the canon you got one person that's like look i'm gonna have a showdown with jane i'm gonna like he makes his character and he's like you know what Jane's mortal enemy. Like my goal is to track yeah. this motherfucker down for for double crossing me and put a bullet in him. Another yeah. one's gonna be like, I've got Jane's gun. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. Like I, and, like, I mean, it's 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 important to set one. I years ago I ran a game and one of the first players said is he rolled lies. Like, yeah, I'm Iron Man's lawyer. I'm like, uh, I'm not sure that's gonna work for the game. But yet, the other thing that we that we have to kind of re refocus on is remember that. When you say, I'm going to run a game in X, everybody walking into that table, even if they've all seen the shows with you, has a different idea of what that established IP means. Yes. To them, you know, it's just like saying to somebody, you know, what's your favorite Marvel MCU movie? And what's the worst MCU movie? You put 10 people in a room together, you're going to get at least four different answers at each of those. And, and none of them are wrong. Um, no, but, and it's actually important yeah. to, um, it's, so it's, it's, it's actually a cool tool to, um, to understand what somebody likes. Like, again, I'm, you know, talking about my future Star Trek game. But if I said to my players, like, I, tell me three of your favorite Star Trek episodes that or and tell me three of your least favorite Star Trek episodes. I, I could tell a lot about what the important parts, what the important parts of the mm -hmm. uh, of the game are going to be, you know, based on your choices. You also have to, I think something we should just mention here. You also have to talk about what was it about the show that you think made for a good show, but might might not make for a good for a good game. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like I mean, if, if if you all enjoyed Batman the animated series, you might all think, hey, it was a great series. We all loved it a lot. Um, and the episode with Batmite was hilarious, but damn it, I don't ever want to see him in the game. Because that would just make it an annoying game for the players. Yeah. And as long as you know that coming out of it, that might say something. Okay, the GM's like, okay, great. Batmite exists, but don't worry, I'm not gonna put him in. Because the rest of the players are like, yeah, we agree, you yeah. know, or or maybe they're all like, no, no, we love Batmite. And they, oh, I was only like. here because I was hoping that yeah. I, that <clears throat> Batmite was going to be my sidekick. Yeah, and let's exactly. face it, you, you could sit down and have a discussion and be like, all right, we're going to play a Star Trek game, and 
and you start asking questions of everybody about what they like about Star Trek and what they what it mm-hmm. enticed them about doing this thing. Da 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 da. Exactly. And you could end up where you all like you know the 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 sciency space exploration stuff, and that's the important part. And yeah. all of a sudden, you're not really playing Star Trek anymore. You're like, let's just play a sciency space exploration game. Yep. And ta-da, you know, so have the conversation because yeah. you don't know where you're going to end up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I remember there was a, the shortest, our shortest lived campaign ever, Bob, was our um, leverage campaign, which died in session zero. Um because I asked everybody to start making their characters and everybody was familiar with leverage. So they knew all the tropes, but everybody's character was hitter plus something else. And well, I was like, to be fair, we weren't all hitter as our primary. Right. But, but, there but was it was like in there. <laughs> yeah. It was yeah. like, I'm hitter grifter. I'm hacker hitter. And it was like, guys, do you want to play something with more combat? Like, I feel like you guys want to like kick like kick some ass and shoot some stuff up, and we actually like jettison the game in session mm-hmm. zero to go play uh, corporation. corporation. Yeah, um, <laughs> I I remember when when uh, Star Wars Edge of the Empire first came out, the first of the Star Wars Genesis games. Like, oh, everybody's like, oh, I can't wait to play Star Wars. And the first thing, yeah, none of you are going to be playing Jedi. Like, it's all about rogues and smugglers and stuff like that. There are no Jedi in the original rules. Um, some people are like, oh, well, then I'm not really interested. I want to play a Jedi in Star Wars, and if and with the first book, you couldn't do that. They got better. That got better. They had supplements for that, which made it possible. Yeah. But it wasn't easy to play a Jedi, and that's what you need to understand. Because either as a GM, you need to really figure out how to how to bend the rules, which you can do, um, or you just maybe this isn't the game to play right now. Yep. Um, yeah. Totally and totally legitimate, right? Just yeah. Totally. Yeah. All right. Anyway, we should wrap. We should yeah. wrap because because this is material that easily borders into next week's episode. Yes. We definitely <laughs> do it. I guess we know what next week's episode is. Yeah. All right, Bob. So. That is our somewhat extensive look at playing in and around established IPs. We hope that the next time you're setting up an established IP as your next game, that some of this advice is going to help you out. And now we will check in one more time in the chat room before we head to the conversation corner. And the chat room is uh, is not um, super prolific tonight as far as questions go, which is cool. They don't have to be. They're engrossed in the topic. Um, so Pretty much lots of opinions on favorite this favorite that which is yeah. always great oh yeah that's fine i mean look favorites are always subjective right i like yeah it's fine in fact i want it the thing is i always want to know your favorite but i really want to know why it's your favorite yes because that's yeah. the most telling thing <clears throat> like why is um blood oath your favorite ds9 episode yeah. like or honestly i think even <laughs> more telling is why is this other episode your least favorite episode? Oh what yeah, yeah. Tell me what's tell me what it is about this episode that yep. that ruins it for I you. Like that's stand, a huge you know, whatever. Like I can't stand it when Barkley does something stupid and everybody has to fix his messes. All right, it's, well then it's, it, it's just it's just like when we were in when I was in writing back in college where they said, you know, find somebody who will tell you what they like and what they don't like and why. Not just it's good or it sucks, but why. Because that's really the important part. Because every good Andy is correct. Sub Rosa, Sub Rosa may be the worst TNG. It it is. It is a. It is a hard competition between um, Skin of Evil and Sub Rosa. But I can't argue that Sub Rosa is not a terrible. It is. uh, Is uh, Crusher and the Ghost? Yes, Crusher and the Ghost. That's the worst episode. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Skin of Evil's bad, but Sub Rosa's terrible. 
So maybe, so maybe what, so maybe what you need to say then is besides Sub Rosa and Skin of Evil, what are the three worst episodes? Yeah, that's fair. That's yeah, because I think we can all agree that there are some episodes that are just bad because of the subject matter, and we agree we're not going to have that in and you know we're not going to have any of those. You know, we're never going to have a Sub Rosa subplot in any game we run with Star Trek or not. <laughs> because because we're all responsible gamers. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean that's the other part is like Subrose is like really squeaky as well. Yeah. Like, it's yeah. Just, the other thing. Yeah. It's bad. It is. It's just horrible. Yeah. Oh, oh yes, the, the Barkley Robin Hood. Yeah. I mean, look, here's the thing about the Barkley about the, the first Barkley episode, right? Here's the thing. We all know that's what everybody was thinking about the hollow deck. Yes. It's just that Barkley gets blamed for being the first person yep. who you get to see into his porn folder, yep. right? Like, <laughs> there's a lot of... Uh, Bartley, Barkley gets bagged on for a lot of kink shaming. Like, they, they, like, that's his thing. That's what he likes to do in his recreation. Like, I'm not saying it's correct or not, because there's, there's a really weird thing on whether that's consensual, not consensual. Like, I don't know. It's difficult. Yeah. Um. But yeah, Barkley, you know, you Bar we got to look into Barkley's porn folder, no and no one else's. Yeah. And you know, according to Quark, everybody's got one of those. Oh yeah, everybody's got one. <clears throat> could be Vulcan Love Slave Volume Two. It could be. That's Quark's favorite. Yeah. <laughs> yes, but he's <laughs> yes, but is he the ma but is the Vulcan the slave or the master in that one? That's the question. That is the question. And with that, let's get out of here and get yes. to the conversation corner. That, that is definitely an after show thing. Where is so my conversation? Do, 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 do. All right. <laughs> we went boom, boom. Yeah. So we made it to the conversation corner. Welcome. Uh, welcome to the conversation welcome. corner. All right. So um, I will start us off. Um, there. This was the long game week. So Wednesday night we had yep. uh, a Band of Blades. Which was, of course, always good. I'll let Jerry talk about that one. Um, mm -hmm. We had our, our session zero for Sprawl. All three of us did that, so that we'll, we can each touch on that a little bit. But the thing that I like about the the session zero we had for the Sprawl mm -hmm. was um, that we we had a really nice um, we got a really nice blend. With the with the people that are playing the game and the ideas and the and the and the angles that they come at stuff, we got a nice broad mix of stuff. So I think it's going to be a lot of fun um, to uh, to to see what these characters do when we actually hit the hit the ground running. So uh, that's all I'll say about that. Um, we had our Forbidden Lands game on Sunday, which never disappoints. Um, we had some. Uh, <clears throat> We had some unexpected uh, uh, contact with someone that we didn't think we were going to have contact with, um, who may or may not be uh, a villain. I don't know. I don't know. He's don't know. something. He's, he's a little <laughs> shifty, a little bit. He's been around a long time. He's an elf, and elves in this game, they live until they decide they don't want to or they get killed. If they don't get killed, they can just be like, eh, I'm good. Or they can be like, nah, I'm done. I'm just going to diminish and go into the West. Only yeah. not with those words. And, uh, yeah, so it's, um, it's, it's going to be interesting. And we're, we're prepping for another nice long adventure where we have to traverse huge, huge sections of the map. So, <laughs> so that's going to be good. Um, we talked about boss level. Um, mm -hmm. I, I will definitely probably watch that again because there are certain things about it that, um, that 
it's just super entertaining. And I love how, uh, Frank Grillo, um, played the character. Um, it, he looked like he was having a really good time, especially when, uh, when he was getting killed because you get to explore a lot of different methods of death. And, um, <laughs> the other thing that I really enjoyed about it, and I don't know if you caught this, Jerry, but, um, I was like, hmm. And then I looked at the IMDb cast listing. Um, the redneck with the pickup truck, Jerry, you remember him? Yeah. Yep. That yeah. was Rob Gronkowski, tight end really? for current Gronk? tight end for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. <laughs> really? With, 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 the, with the harpoon. The New England Patriots. And unfortunately, Western New York native. <clears throat> so watching so, him die was yeah. so gratifying. <laughs> Especially how he dies. Especially yes. how he dies, yes. Yes. So the that's first all time, I'll say yes. about that. Uh, uh, <laughs> um, oh, that I, I didn't know yes. that. That's, he's the guy with the harpoon. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay, harpoon. Yes. Guy. Yes. Uh, so it's, yeah, it's, that was fun. Uh, damn, it's got some good stuff in it. Entertaining yeah. <laughs> film. Uh, the other thing. Yesterday, I watched uh, I watched a little ditty called Operation Condor, which is a Jackie Chan bit from yep. 1991 or 92. Um, and so this is again, this is a, um, a Hong Kong or Chinese production. Um, so there's all the dubbing, so all the voices don't match up. Even when they're when they're English speaking people speaking English, they're still dubbed, <laughs> which is hysterical. Um, but I just I forgot how much I enjoy the the frantic chaos of Jackie Chan just oh. bouncing around a set, yep. and then the outtakes at the end where they show you how like oh this gag this gag went bad and he hurt himself or this gag went bad and he took a real punch that he wasn't supposed to take and he's mm -hmm. he's like rubbing his nose going ooh that hurt you know. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I, I think that's, I mean, that is some of the best parts of watching a Jackie Chan movie are both mm -hmm. the, um, the choreography, which is so intense, right? Like, yeah. And then the, and then the outtakes, which are like, yep. you are just like, oh my God, I cannot believe he just, like, I cannot believe yeah. he did this. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of good stuff. And apparently there is a, um, uh, according to the IMDb, there is an Operation Condor 2. Which is titled, I think, "The Armor of God" or something like that. Um, yeah. And so I'm like, I I have got to go watch that because it was an entertaining. I, I an thought entertaining I thought premise. this was I thought this was Operation I thought this was Armor of God two, Operation Condor, and I thought that the first one was a uh, was Armor of God one. I could be wrong. No, it's Operation Condor, and the second one is is um, Armor is, of God. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's and it's weird because it he's like some kind of an agent. Um, not spy really, but kind of like a, it's kind of a cross between Indiana Jones and, um, and a spy, just a little bit of spy. Um, it's an interesting premise, but I'm, um, I'm going to correct you. Armor of God came first. Operation Condor really? is Armor of God too. Armor of God too is, is Operation Condor. Yep. Yep. Well then, in, in that case. Oh no, uh, no. Okay. Okay. They're both known by both. I apologize. We're both right. <laughs> well then. Apparently they yes. couldn't decide what they wanted to call them, so yeah. Uh, um, and then of course, um, Wandavision wrapped up, and um, just uh, man, uh, obviously yeah. no spoilers because there's a there's a statute of limitations on it, and it's only been a few days. Um, but um, it was fun. It was a it was a good show, and it mm -hmm. left us with some questions and. <laughs> 
Um, I'm very much interested in finding out what happens uh, when we roll into the next phase uh, of, of that storyline, because that's going to go into uh, Doctor Strange in the, in the Multiverse of Madness and and some uh, Spider-Man No Way Home uh, connects up to that in some ways. So there's going to be some interesting stuff. Um, and um, trailers and and, um, and little teaser bits are now coming out for uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And there is a bit, and I won't mention it because some people don't like to watch the, the bits leading in. But there's a bit where Falcon says something and and... They argue him, 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 Sam and Bucky argue over something, and there's a semantic oh, thing. I saw that. It's it's funny. If that's if that's going to be the banter in this in this, like I, I think then we are yeah. we are in buddy cop territory, yes, right? This is like totally, you'll, you'll have totally to, buddy. You'll cop have territory. to, yeah. You'll have to do. Uh, this may this may be the MCU buddy cop movie. Yeah. Oh, I think yeah. I, I think that's yeah. What we're yeah. Doing. Which I'm a hundred percent for. All right, that's uh, me, Cherry. Well, uh, first of all, Band of Blades, which went which went very well. Um, again, we lost a few of our of our. Uh, I call them white shields. Warhammer player, basically our rookies. Um, for those who don't know, Band of Blades, you play your main characters, and then there are a bunch of rookies that are part of the decimated army that you're part of. And on every mission, you only get to take half of the PCs with you based on the mission. And the rest of the players are going to be playing some of these um, almost nameless rookies, basically like first-level characters. Um, they're, they're, you're playing first-level characters in a sixth-level adventure, basically. Hmm. Um, and as so every week, you might not be playing your main character. You might be playing one of these rookies. And who plays the rookie rotates through them. And so you might play them. The GM might play them. In a scene where one of the rookies wanders off, one of the people playing a PC might play a rookie. So you end up playing multiple characters. There's also a third subset of, uh, like management characters, like the marshal and the spy master that each of the players takes the role of to do some management stuff. And so you end up playing multiple characters as a, as a GM who also plays. I love this. I love playing multiple characters in games. People who have GM for me know that if I get a chance to pick up a sidekick, I'm going to do that right off the bat. It's a lot of fun because you get to develop multiple personalities. And as you go, because you're all playing these NPCs as player characters at one player or another, they begin to take on personalities of their own. And so when one of them dies, it becomes much more important. And you're not just sacrificing them as a, as a token to uh, appease a certain game requirement. And, um, we had some very good character, uh, background information stuff going on. One of the rookies became a, uh, an actual like player character level character. Um, and everybody's getting a lot more background. And so if you enjoy writing backstories for characters, Band of Blades is a lot of fun because as soon as you're handed a rookie, you pretty much flesh them out and come up with a backstory for them and go from there. And um, so we've been having a lot of fun with with uh, the story, especially since Bob's character and Eric Dewergate's character are sisters. And so there's also some family drama going on there as well. Um, it, it just it plays really well. It's a lot of fun. And... Um, I've come to terms with the fact that not all of my precious little minions is going to make it to the end. Um, I play the, I, I play the marshal and my job is keeping track of all the NPCs. And when we have a new squad show up, I, I name them and cope with stuff and then hand them out to the player or let them pick them. And then we develop them and as they go, I keep track of all those notes. And so, um, I have a special attachment to all of our little minions that keep dying. Um, but it's a lot of fun. 
and uh, it just it's it's a great game. Uh, we played Sprawl Session Zero. I'm looking forward to it. I'm 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 a big fan of the cyberpunk tabletop role playing game, and the Sprawl is everything I loved about the original cyberpunk game with a better game system. And I'm just excited about it. I I can't wait. Um, I even watched a movie this week. I watched the remake of Total Recall with uh, Colin Farrell, and while it's 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 like Venom or the um, Russell Crowe Robin Hood movie. It's a good science fiction movie. It's just a bad Total Recall movie. So if you divorce it from the original Total Recall, um, except for a couple of Easter eggs, it is a fun movie. It's got kind of a slow, odd beginning, and the ending action scene just they had a very bad fight choreographer for the last scene, but the whole middle of it is just fun. There's a lot of eye candy in it, uh, not as like cheesecake, but as like ooh, I like the way they did that part of a of a of a post-apocalyptic cyberpunk world where i like how these buildings are stacked or i would like to it was definitely a i want to play a game set in this thing hmm. and colin farrell does a great job um so does jessica beals and um kate, uh, kate beckinsale as pretty much the main three characters in it um and when they're on screen yeah, there's a lot of good there's just some fun dialogue it's just it's a fun if you like sci-fi cyberpunk movie it's a fun movie just walk into it knowing it's not gonna be as iconic as the schwarzenegger total recall Mm-hmm. Um, it's got a lot of CGI effects, but there's some really cool stuff. Um, I've been watching more of How I Met Your Mother because, as I said, I've only seen probably six episodes oh, all the way so through. Good. So I'm watching in the beginning. It's not a show I can binge watch, though. I've noticed I can watch like two episodes and then I'm done with these people for a, for a day or two. I don't <laughs> want to watch these people uh, because, as we all know, Ted is this is a dumpster fire, and especially the early episodes. I'm like, ooh, Ted, you're a horrible person. <laughs> um, uh, he's a bit of a stalker. Ted made some mistakes. Ted's made some Ted mistakes. gives me oh, a lot yeah. of feels because there there are certain aspects of Ted that I'm like, oh, he's not a good person. And no, then there are no. certain aspects of Ted that I'm like, oh, Ted, you're a lot like me. You know, the the hopeless romantic part of Ted speaks to me and and stuff like that. But oh, <laughs> I just keep Ted's got. Some I just issues. keep cringing because there are so many episodes where he's like telling the story of like what he did, and he's not saying don't do this because. It's a horrible thing to do. It's don't do this because I made a mistake and failed. And I'm like, you shouldn't be telling your kids to do this kind of stuff. <laughs> but, kids, as your grandmother says, never, what is it? Nothing good happens after 2 a.m. Yep. Uh, I'd argue with that. Um, and lastly, of course, WandaVision. I enjoyed WandaVision. I thought it was a great wrap up. Um, did it do everything that I wanted to see it do? Of course not. That's okay. I didn't care. Um, we all had fan theories and not all of them came true. And I'm perfectly good with that because yep. what I got was a lot of fun and uh, it still gave me, gave me amazing like Easter egg rushes and I would throw with it. So, and there's um, a moment of philosophy in it. That's all I'll say. Oh man. Yes. I, oh yeah. Yeah. Which is now turning them. into its own meme, by the way. Yes. Like that's <laughs> yeah. Also starting to meme out. Yes. Uh, and some fun songs. Phil. Uh, yeah. Um, so also I, um, I, I organized the session zero for the sprawl. Um, my, my takeaway from it that I really liked was, um, we had a really good conversation as a group about where to set our game. So I was like, you know, I said, I said, look, we need to pick a city. I, I don't really care what it is because we'll make it our own, but let's talk about where we want the game. And wound up having a discussion of like, well, whatever city we pick is really going to have its own influence on the setting descriptions of everything, you know, and, you know, going forward. And what we eventually settled on after discussion was Hong Kong. Yeah. 
And I was like, oh, kick ass. Hong Kong will be great. Yeah. Um, I can do a lot with Hong Kong. Macau is across the bay. Like we got a lot of good stuff going on here that we can, you know, that we, that we can use. And then we used, um, my hack of the sprawl, which is, um, uh, I don't have a good name for it yet. Um, but it is where you get to play, uh, good guys that don't do jobs for corporations, but you do jobs either on your own or for good people to uh, screw corporations. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and it includes a city mechanic. So we not only um, picked Hong Kong, but as we defined our corporations, we also, uh, we also determined the influence that they had on the stats for the city, yes. um, which was fun because it was a way for us to also say like what kinds of stories we'd be interested in. So mm-hmm. like, one of the things that I think was very consciously done um, is that our city, our Hong Kong has no corporate oversight. Uh, it is a corporate wild west, um, which yeah. is also one of the reasons I think it's really cool that the players are going to kind of like work to burn corporations is that these six megacorps are um, literally unchecked in this city. Yeah. And, and the problem is, and, it, and this is a cool duality is that they they actually do good things for the city. So um, quality of life is up, um, necessities, access to water, power, medical, mm-hmm. things like that. That's actually pretty high. And infrastructure is pretty high. So like yeah. there's housing and there's arts and there's entertainment and there's like people can buy houses and stuff. But at the same time, these corps are, you know, polluting and they're running amok and they're like waging war on each other and, they're screwing people over and just, you know, with no, um, you know, with no boundaries whatsoever. Um, so I think it's great mm-hmm. because it makes the, um, populace weirdly complacent. Like, yeah. oh yeah, I, I got, you know, like I got screwed on that, but like I also got a job like a couple of weeks later. Right. Like, mm-hmm. you know, or, you know, oh yeah, that happened, but like I got a check and, you know, you know, yeah. for, for, you know, for my inconvenience. So, it's going to make an interesting um, environment because you've got these corporations out of control, but the people are kind of like, yeah, but movies like, you know, so uh, I like that. I think that'll be is, cool. Is it really so bad that the Empire killed off all those Jedi? You know, they weren't all that great for us. Right. And that's the dangerous part, right? Like, that's the dangerous yeah. part when when the populace is um, entertained enough, right? This is the Coliseum, right? Like mm-hmm. if they're entertained enough, like who cares if the, you know, empire's crumbling kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, we played our forbidden lands game. Um, we had just like another, um, it, this game is just like, it, it runs in these like little tiny installments. And um, I liked, we had like a little reveal at the end that there were some extra allies that the heroes weren't expecting when they showed up in this one town um, mm-hmm. that tie back to like, all this other story material. Like it was a lot of yep. fun to just bring this character in. And, um, I, you know, we're on session 42 and I think this character showed up last, like last time in like session, like 17 or something. Mm-hmm. But as soon as I named it, everybody's like, Oh, that's, you know, Yawin's brothers here. Right. Like it was, um, it's fun. Like yeah. the game is just, the game is now deep because it's just been running for a while and it's picked up so much, um, lore to it. Uh, so that's good. I watched WandaVision. Again, I don't want to spoil anything. I was, I was thoroughly thrilled with it. Yep. Um, absolutely. I flat out loved it. Um, this is exactly the kind of stuff I wanted to see Disney plus. Like this is the reason I'm giving money to Disney plus is to, um, is to entertain me 
with Marvel stuff in ways that isn't just the straight up movie. Yep. Yeah. Like WandaVision was very much a um experimental kind of like storytelling thing. And I fucking loved it. Um, so I like do like do regular Marvel stuff, but also like I'm happy to give my money to make this kind of stuff happen as yep. well. Um, is great. Um, watching more Enterprise. I got to tell you, I like seasons one and two of Enterprise better than season three so far. Not hot on season three. This is like some dark. This is like dark Enterprise. Um, this season three Enterprise this is not. I'm still in the first half of it, but like, I don't know. I mean, it's fine. I'm, I'm going to just keep working my way through it, but, um, they just like, they, they like turned up the darkness on it. And it's just like, I don't know. Like it was, it was, I liked it better when they were a little more, you know, out in space driving around, waving to people like, hi, we're humans. We're new here. You know, now it's like, like the stakes are much higher and, um, it's like a little darker anyway. Um, and I've been watching Jericho, this, uh, old CBS, uh, show. Um, which I I love it. the premise of it's great. It's this like they were far enough away from the nuclear blast, but they're still having to like try to live in this post-apocalyptic world where most of their stuff was intact. Like they, they don't have power. They'll get power later. Um, but they like currently don't have power and they're, you know, trying to like make things work and, you know, solve problems. Like, you know, one of the characters needed antibiotics and they had to like, um, go to a, like this abandoned hospital and try to steal some. Like, I, I like it. I, I, I dug it. The show was actually not, it's not great, but it wasn't bad. Anyway, that's, um, that's my week. Um, oh, I know the other thing. Lastly, I did a little research for our iHunt game. We chose Philadelphia for our game. Uh, I'm an East Coast guy. iHunt is set by default in a, um, fictitious West Coast city, but, like, I don't know enough West Coast stuff to really have a good connection to it. So we picked Philly, which I was like, yeah, I could totally get down with what um, I could totally get down with what monster hunting in Philly is going to look like. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started doing my research about like the city of Philadelphia and kind of looking at different neighborhoods and things like that. And I was looking for um, a, you know, I was looking for a particular neighborhood, one that was impoverished because that's part of this game is, you know, playing the kind of horrors of post-capitalism and, um, I found this morale. I found this marvelous little, um, it's not even a whole neighborhood. It's a stretch of road in Philadelphia where these two artists who interned for like a year and a half in, in Philadelphia, they organized the community. So they, they hired all these people from in the community to paint all the buildings, different, like, um, stripes of colors, like different colors, different, like some of them are stripes. Some of them are just multicolor. But it was all hired from people in like they hired people and paid like, you know, from the neighborhood, paid them, helped repair some of the buildings and then painted them. And you can just see these like it, it, there. You can look it up. It's called Philly Paints and you can see like pictures of this neighborhood. And as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh, I'm like, this is where I want to put the coffee shop. Yep. Like the game is going to take place all around the city of Philly, um, largely because in I hunt rich people are the people who can afford to. um to pay for monster killers. So they'll be traveling into the nicer neighborhoods of Philly, but I really wanted like a um, location where the hero, where the characters lived that had some real, like um, some real like feeling and uniqueness to it. And this like strip in this, like this one strip, I think it's like in, um, Oh God, I can't, I, I'm still working on my Philly geography. Um, 
Northeast Philly, something like that. Um, but anyway, if you look up Philly paints, you'll see it beautiful. These buildings are just beautiful. And I read, like, I read the whole, um, I read the whole case study of, about the painting of like how this, like how this whole project went and how these artists, like they they came and they lived in the neighborhood for like a year and a half. And they, you know, they, um, they hired everybody in the neighborhood to do this work and just like how it made, um, like how it made everybody who lived in the neighborhood feel better about their businesses and, and all of those things. And it, it was great. It was great. Um, so it was really fun. And it's one of those things I love about role-playing games is taking that opportunity to learn something mm-hmm. about different places, different cultures and things like that as a part of like, you know, learning to, um, you know, just like as we play games and we set up campaigns and stuff, I, I love, you know, kind of learning these things. So it was really cool. Um, I very much, um, I very much dug it. It will give the neighborhood that we're going to play in some real character and you can go right into Google maps and actually, um, go down the road and see these like really cool looking, um, these really, uh, funky, cool looking buildings, like all painted up. So anyway, that's me. We can wrap up. Bob, take us out of here. All right. Time for the Patreon shout outs, kids. Thank you to John, just John, MT Black, Matthew Petrozelli, Mike Olson, Padme's Lover, Robert Dorgan, Ryan Bolter, Texas Bento, and Troy Pitchelman. And thanks to everyone for listening tonight. If you, if you are free on Tuesday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. the Queen's time, come join us live on Twitch where you can chat with other listeners in the awesome chat room for life and ask us the occasional question. If you cannot make it to the live show, check out our podcast each week or wherever you get your podcast. Take us to some of the other shows in Mr. Mark Network, such as Mastery Dungeons, Bonesaw Obsidian, the FM Gamers, Panis Talking Games, The Gnomecast, John Koo Hustle, The Lounge, Bonus Experience, and amazing back episodes of She's a Super Geek. You can and should also check out our sibling podcasts, Tabletop Bellhop, The Nights of the Night, and the always amazing Gaming and BS. After you have decided whether or not Luke Skywalker can be in your Star Wars game, um, leave us some feedback. You can reach us directly uh, via the old-fashioned emails, mmp at misdirectedmark.com. Check us out on Twitter. The show and the network is at misdirectedmark. He is Robert M. Everson. He is GM Gerrymander. I am DNA Phil. If you like what we do here and on the other shows in the Misdirected Mark Network, you can support our Patreon campaigns. MMP, Mastering Dungeons, and Pandastaki Games are at patreon.com slash MMP. Zhang Hustle is at patreon.com slash Zhang Hustle. And Bonus Experience is at patreon.com slash bonus experience. Patrons of MMP, Mastering Dungeons, and Pandastaki Games get access to the after show, pre-production show notes, musical parodies, the Bamboo Lounge, and other special releases. This has been a Restricted Mark production of the Media Arm and Encore Designs. Mic drop. We out.